0: Hey everyone, welcome to Flywheel Pod, your number one source for everything Frax, DeFi, and everything in between. If you want to know what's going on in the world on chain, you've come to the right place. This is DeFi Dave, here with Capital K, and we're here to help you harness the power of the flywheel and talk about an important part of the flywheel and many DeFi protocols that we know and love, are oracles, which are powered by Chainlink. And we had the man, the myth, the legend, Chainlink. The God. God. The God. <laughs> man does not do him justice and the way i would describe this episode as refreshing it was you yeah. know great seeing eye to eye with them. i felt like we share all of us share a lot of the same values we want to see you know blockchain and crypto and DeFi get out of this world of like speculation and casino land and like how can it actually touch the real world and how can it have an actual effect more so than just being Ponzi nomical games and i think with you know, what really got him into Chainlink is like, oh wait, this can actually touch the real world. This can actually have mm-hmm. a tangible effect. Like this one product, Oracle's can like, be both like the intermediary between the on-chain and off-chain worlds. And so you you kind of see like his train ch- of thought from there. Uh, Kit, what are your thoughts on this interview? No, I think it was very, I think
1: you stole the words out of my mouth. It was like refreshing. It was different, right? He yeah. has a very fundamental approach in how to invest and how he discovered Chainlink and have it click for him yeah. and just dive right in, right? Just taking that own initiative and, you know, Dave and I have been preaching yeah. this over and over again. This, this is the bear market time for you to get involved, find a project that you really want to
0: sink your teeth in and just get in there and contribute. Yeah. I think my favorite story from the episode is when he was talking about the breadcrumbs and they had like a co Team six unit. Of like the most dedicated link marines that would go in and scavenge like the most obscure documents and talks yeah, and yeah. like oh like An
1: ey like, documentation here migration.
0: yeah oh like like swift's document this and that like that's really cool i think like having a community like that it's so no surprise that Chainlink took off the way it did and even like you know after it had its like top they're still like a super strong community and they're actually building real world use cases and you know, he had a lot to say, not just about oracles, but all of DeFi. And this, I think mm-hmm. our listeners are really going to enjoy this one.
1: Agreed, agreed. And he, he's just so grounded, right? He's leaving the ponzi behind and seeking
0: purpose. So, and it's, it's good. yeah. And if you want to seek meaningful DeFi content, make sure you hit that bell button, subscribe, leave us a comment, let us know what you think. Are we doing a good job? Could we do better? Let us know in the comments. Give us a like if you like what we're doing make sure you follow us on twitter at flywheel pod you know hit us up in our telegram group we've been having a lot of great conversations in there at flywheel pod you can keep up with me on twitter at defidave dave 22. you can keep up with me at zero x capital underscore k and let's get the flywheel spinning do you hold eth but don't know what to do with it want to earn those juicy liquid staking derivative yields but don't know where to start well frax eth is there for you Frax ETH is Frax's native LSD solution, allowing you to earn boosted yields in multiple ways on your ETH. If you want to get started, go to app.frax.finance and turn your ETH into Frax ETH today. All right, everyone. We're back at Flywheel Pod, and this time around, we have the legend himself. He doesn't have God in his name for nothing. It's Chainlink God. Chainlink God, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for
2: having me on, guys. Uh,
0: pleasure, honestly. Like, I'm so happy we got to get you on because I just saw you like two weeks ago, and I'm just like, oh, we need to like do a podcast. I feel like it would be such a great episode. And you know, you just love how like these things work.
2: Yeah, I'm happy to be on. There's so many things to talk about. Everything, everything. So every, not everything's exploding. Oh, so
0: wow. many things. Yeah, honestly, like I was like looking on like which question where to start, and I want to start off with a recent tweet thread that you had um, about how bad. Crypto is at naming things because I couldn't agree more. When I was actually down at DevCon, somebody made a speech exactly about that. Um, So it's really been like the Achilles' heel of the space. So like, can you expand on that thread a bit more? And like, what are some ways crypto and especially DeFi can improve on
2: linguistics? Yeah, my sense is that in crypto, a lot of you know it's a lot of engineers, so people building highly technical infrastructure and tools, and so oftentimes. The names we uh, ascribe to things are also highly technical in nature and not very normie friendly. And so like even the most elementary like cryptocurrency, like, OK, well, yeah, there's some trying to be currencies, but I would argue most crypto is not trying to be a currency. And so that that just creates like a false mental model of like, oh, you you know, this token is a cryptocurrency, so it must be a yeah. currency. But that's actually not true many times. And like you take something like NFTs, well, you bring up NFTs, what the fuck's an NFT? Nobody knows what that means. And so you have to say, oh, it's a non-fungible token. Well, I don't know what that means, and then you have to explain what that means and like it's so like in crypto we have all these highly esoteric very complex names and like nobody gets it by default and it always you know you have to explain what it means and not everyone is very good at explaining these things they're very technical uh, I don't understand everything crypto I don't think anyone fully understands everything so like it's just it's not helping us like try to get the next generation of the next you know billion users in the space when we don't really know how to describe what we're doing. <laughs> yeah. Like the terms we use are just not very marketable. Like there's some good terms, you know, DeFi is, you know, it just creates this mental model like, oh, it has to be decentralized, but not everything in DeFi is trying to be decentralized and that's fine. But then it's almost like you're being misleading by calling it DeFi when it's, you know, maybe it's just on-chain finance, Chain finance. or open yeah. finance or something that could be better. So like Open finance I, was the original name. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's it's similar to open banking, but that probably would have been better than just calling it DeFi. It's not terrible, but now it's stuck. So like, you got to use it, or people are even more lost than before. So it's It's a hard problem. You wouldn't have DeFi
0: Dave without DeFi. (laughs) Literally, (laughs) open banking Dave doesn't just open banking. It doesn't doesn't really have the same zing to it at all. Uh, Yeah, but I want to get back to your point. So like, what are like some better terms that we could use? Like, if you could like start over again, like cryptocurrency. I couldn't agree more. Um, that kind of just stuck because bitcoin when it first came out it was trying to be a currency it was trying to be this medium of exchange but you know obviously all these tokens out there aren't and aren't really that's not their mo so like what would you like categorize most tokens
2: yeah i mean it's it's tricky because like a lot of tokens a lot of them you could just call them currencies some of them you could just call them like crypto commodities others are like crypto securities although there's like you know bad connotation but that is yeah what you right don't want security yeah <laughs> so like most of them i would just call them tokens like people know what a yeah. token is like Chuck E. cheese token a lot of them are just kind of like that I, I think a good example is like nfts what i thought you know reddit did was interesting they didn't call them nfts when they launched theirs mm. they called them digital collectibles it's so like yeah. they got rid of all the negative connotation with nfts which there's you know there's a lot some of it justifiable but you call them digital collectibles that doesn't have the previous connotation and it's probably more accurate. It's way more intuitive, and like that's just a better term. You know, not every NFT is a digital collectible. If you have something like ENS, just call it a domain name. You don't mm-hmm. need to refer to it as an NFT. Like, it's just call it what it is. And so, like, I, I, don't, I don't think like I know all like what all the terms should be, should be, but I know that like a lot of the terms we use are just you know, you know, we, we got to think a little bit more. Like technical terms work in a white paper. Mm-hmm. If you're going to put it on your website, you know, maybe think a couple steps of like what your grandma is going to understand about it. I feel like oracles
0: and chain link with especially oracles that's actually good linguistics right there and makes sense like taking like information like on chain off like oracles seemed like it was a good fit like what are your thoughts on like the linguistics of the oracle space?
2: Yeah I think oracle is a good term though it's a little scoped because you think oracle you ask someone a question to give you the truth or the answer and that works for a lot of use cases but like if you're using an oracle for like transaction automation or randomness or cross-chain you know then the the oracle kind of moniker starts to break down a little bit Gets a little yeah confusing and even a lot of people don't really know what oracles are so like you know if you provide web3 services you know you kind of have to know what web3 is but you know their services you kind of know they're like supplementary it's like uh i don't know like it's like an api or something so like i think you know, Chainlink has a lot of different names. I think some of them are are good. Some of them are give you a little technical. I think, I think every project kind of falls into this trap of using acronyms to describe something very precisely, and then, you know, Chainlink Keepers became Chainlink Automation because like nobody yeah. knew what a keeper was. So you know, they just yeah. rebranded it to Automation and okay, that makes speaking, sense. You know? Speaking of acronyms, like the the convex
0: curve Frax acronyms get so ridiculous. Oh. It's <laughs> yeah. it gets real confusing real fast. Even for me, I'm just like you know, stake, convex, this, that, blah, blah, blah. It's like, I think it ends up being like 10 to 15 letters. Like there's definitely a
2: better way to do that. Yeah. I mean, when you have DeFi is like so composable and you wrap tokens and you get receipt tokens and then you stake those and you get another receipt token, like, you know, it's good to have a technical definition because then you can follow it down and see exactly what it is. But like at the end of the day, like, what should you call them? You know, the receipt tokens, but each one, you know, I don't know, it's, it's a tricky problem. I don't, do we even need to necessarily... Have to have to have a name, or like specifically need to market that bit to people, or just sell the product of like liquid staking. You know, maybe that's right. all yeah. you need to call.
1: It. Yeah, I remember one time in my MetaMask, a token's name was so long that it just cut off and had the ellipsis. <laughs> I was just like, okay, this is a, clearly a problem.
0: <laughs> yeah, I actually want to um, like bring it back before DeFi because i link God, I know you've been around since 2017. I want to go to the beginning. I want to go before Chainlink God became Chainlink God when he was just Chainlink Man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, how did how did like Chainlink God come about? Like, how did you discover Chainlink and like what motivated you to become so active in their community? Like, being like the preeminent like honestly advocate online ambassador. for them, ambassador, like literally like diplomat of Chainlink. Um, How'd you like discover Chainlink and like what motivated you to like do all the
2: activities that you've done? Is it something in your soul? Is it something else? Yeah, so like I guess like stepping back, like I joined crypto like the peak of 2017. Like, you know, that's when everybody was talking about it. I saw that you could run a program on your computer and money spits out, you know, and I was a college student studying computer science at the time. Like, well, that's that's interesting. It's like, yeah. you know, two or three dollars a day, not that much, but you know, I thought it was interesting, and so I kind of fell into the rabbit hole from that angle, and then dived into, you know, like, what's Bitcoin, what's a blockchain, what's that? Okay, you know, smart contracts, Ethereum, what's that? And so then it kind of fell down towards, like, the the Reddit coins and, like, the shit coins and whatnot that I think Mm -hmm. that's the common path for a lot of people. But then, you know, I kind of thought, like, you know, these contracts can't, you know, these these immutable applications, distributed applications, whatever you call them, like, if they can't connect to the real world, like, if you have a, a contract about a house, how do you know what the house is worth? Or who owns the house or when it's been transferred like you don't the contract doesn't know that it's not that smart that's that's another poor name but it's an (laughs) awful name yeah smart it's either smart nor a contract exactly (laughs) yeah but like you know just thinking through that problem like well that you know cool tech but like how are we gonna actually use it for anything and so i was used to get info about crypto from reddit don't recommend it not that great but then i kind of stepped into 4chan the business and finance board and like one of the Mm -hmm. first threads i i read was about Chainlink and it was like this long paper, you know, this was like 2018, so before Mainnet, DeFi didn't really exist yet, and it was like explaining the enterprise use case of smart contracts, how you need to connect to like institutional backends, you need market data, you need to be able to connect different applications to different chains, like all these external dependencies, having DocuSign, you know, connect to SAP, whatever, and it's like, how are you going to do that? You can't do that. But if you have Chainlink, then you can do all these things and you can enable these institutional use cases, and then just kind of like clicked for me at the time and then you know there wasn't much info about chain like at the time it was a white paper the website wasn't launched yet there wasn't any like talks really so like it was very esoteric but I just kind of went full in and over time I found crypto twitter which was like a dozen or two frogs you know essentially and so I just went on there to like start shitposting with the other frogs and because everybody <laughs> else was frog I had to be a frog as well and like had the anon An- An- moniker and whatnot but like Nobody understood Chainlink like in crypto, and you know this was before mainnet still. And so, you know, it was originally just supposed to be ship posting, but I just wanted to break down the information asymmetry because, like, I I, I understood the potential, but it didn't seem like everyone else did. And there was like just kind of a disconnect of like everybody was kind of wondering what the point of smart contracts were, and like this was the answer. And so, I just had to like get that point across to people. And as I explained it to people, you know, they kept listening to me, and then it just kind of organically grew over time. Like, okay. I can't really shitpost as I once did because, you know, then I'll kind of spook people off. So like I have to take it a little bit more seriously now. Uh, so don't so worry, you can people... just make an alt for that. Yeah.
0: Right. <laughs> I, th- I think everybody on
2: cryptic Twitter has that <laughs> one alt that they don't talk about. Yeah,
0: <laughs> that one alt, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, but, and uh, people just like kept listening to me and like, okay, so I just take it more seriously. And then, you know, now I'm kind of just in this position of being an ambassador, being like an educator of still trying to break down the information asymmetry and Kind of show people like hey crypto is not just about ponsonomics and money games but like these smart contracts can actually be do something useful but you just need the infrastructure to make it useful so it just it it was never like the original goal of that account to be like a this ambassador representative but it just kind of evolved into that and you know i'm gonna i'm thankful for the responsibility but you know gotta 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 keep on the mission because there's still so much information in so much to do sure. and i guess when
0: you were coming up and like you know Chainlink god was like you're getting a lot of followers link marines really started to show their force on crypto twitter what was it like when like link marines like really coalesced like there was a moment in 2020 like around when like the bull started like link marines were just everywhere and they had that moment like what was it like like kind of being one of the leaders of the community and like what was it like because i know you like that a good amount in, in real life like what was it like
2: when the internet came on to real life yeah so it was it was interesting like 2020 like you mentioned like that was really when the community kicked off and that's when all the excitement was and so like it was a lot of responsibility and like a lot of that's where most of like the fud battles like you know when you have a community that's super excited super loud people want to take the other position and argue against it naturally and so like you know that's a lot of like where i was arguing with people about like you know the purpose of oracles and chain link and whatnot and that's you know those types of discussions a lot of the onlookers can learn from that and so like you know it was it was like a giant. Uh, Spotlight being shine mm-hmm. on Chainlink and then naturally being shine on me because you know sometimes when you look up Chainlink on Twitter, my name shows up first. So, like, <laughs> I'm like the entry yeah. point to Chainlink for a lot of people. And, like, I'm not just in the Chainlink community, but I'm in like the Ethereum community and the DeFi community. And, like, kind of, I, I just follow people that I find are interesting and like give good information, which is sometimes in the Chainlink community, sometimes otherwise. Uh, uh, other communities and so like i was kind of like the bridge between those two communities So like a lot of those interactions came through me and so that was it was pretty surreal i have to admit but it's you know it's a it's, it's kind of a good feeling to be like that entry point to crypto uh, in- yeah was that in
1: when was that when you picked up the moniker Chainlink god like, like when did that moniker kind of come
2: on like i'm pretty I, sure your first twitter handle was not Chainlink god was it i thought it was it, i created my twitter account like like middle school and so like it was just my personal account but like once i went to crypto twitter i just i chose chainlink god because like i wanted a username wow. that was like sounded nice i'm like don't want numbers and letters chainlink god that sounds good and then i just like found a photo of a frog i'm like oh yeah it looks like a god and then made that the promo <laughs> I picture again, me now. <laughs> Honestly, wow,
0: I yeah. think, origin sp- stories i'm loving speaking it. of linguistics you really hit it out of the park with your username like chainlink god like yeah, talk exactly. about leader in the community and also with your picture as like the wizard and I just think of like an actual oracle like oracle of adelphi or some shit um and it you just hit all like the right kind of points to that kind of positioned you to become one of the leaders combined with obviously like all the knowledge and all the explaining and all the clearing up you had to do like it was really like the perfect storm for you to become one of the leaders
2: in the community yeah it's kind of funny i spent like five seconds choosing the name <laughs> and then the profile picture actually when i first chose the profile picture i'm like oh, i like this meme I didn't realize no months later, I'm like, wait a minute, he has a beard. That looks like a god. Oh fuck, that works out too perfectly. <laughs> like, I don't know, maybe it was just meant to be or something, but it just worked out perfectly. Hey, it was destiny. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, so
0: back in uh 2020, like there was a lot going on, not just with Chainlink, but that's when DeFi really started to pop off. Um, so like, what were your thoughts on like when you were seeing like actual use cases come on chain? Like uh, the first time, like. You know, you saw DeFi, like all the different farms, all, you know, Uniswap took off and you had Wi-Fi, this and that, like, what are, like, how did you act during that time? And what are your thoughts reflecting on that? And by act, I mean, like, what did you do, like, farm? Uh, David, before we jump
1: into do you mind if I asked Chainlink God about, like, what it was like getting information out of a project that is kind of like still in stealth? Like, did you yeah, reach yeah, out yeah. to, like, the founders and, and, and try to be... That, you know extra um, uh, motivated contributor because I feel like a lot of people in this bear market is just you know kind of nothing to do and conversely actually now is the best time to get involved because you know it's quiet and you can really stand out
2: and make a name for yourself yeah chainlinks kind of a unique one at least like in 2018 like you know the early days there wasn't much public information so like a lot of what the community did was like breadcrumb hunting so like finding any kind of like technical document or like some white paper or some other presentation that some other project made that mentions chain link or mentions oracles and people like just kind of connected the dots. And so like, it was a lot of like dots and breadcrumb mm-hmm. hunting, like, Oh, there was a presentation that showed like the Microsoft and DocuSign logo. And, oh, and this guy from, you know, EY had this presentation. So like a lot of it was just kind of like uncovering what was already there. And so like, you know, you could ask questions to the team, but you know, they're going to be, they're going to say things when they're ready to say things and not, Try to overpromise things. So, like, it was really up to like the community to try to seed out that information. You know, there's a lot of loose ends or dead ends, rather, that never went anywhere. Some, you know, Libra was going to be a, a big thing, but obviously that got shut down. So, like, unfortunately, or, you know, a good thing, I guess, in some people's perspective. But, you know, it's just kind of finding out where those breadcrumbs are and then trying to piece it together yourself. And then taking that information, putting it into like 280 characters and then kind of Expressing that to other people and like and covering what the work is like a lot of it's just like pure hunting for info.
1: God and and when did your ambassadorship with Chainlink you know become more formalized or or is it even formalized?
2: That I would say was probably around. It's kind of timelines kind of blurry, but like around twenty nineteen or so is like not long after mainnet or so. And so like it's just for me like educating the community continuously that kind of arrived of that.
0: It's like you did a, like a alchemical transmutation of information, like on this bread come hunting and with like a group of people that were just dedicated on piecing together this puzzle of like, what is exactly going on with Chainlink? Like, what are they building? Like, what are the ramifications of it? Who's paying attention? Which major institutions, which you said was a big part of your thesis of why you like Chainlink. It sounds like a really fun treasure hunt. And then you transmute the information into 280 characters of what people can understand.
2: Yeah, and, and like the early days of the project, when you know there's not much public info, so like you can imagine the world and there's all these possibilities. Now it's a little bit more tangible because like there's products actually being used <laughs> by, by other institutions. Like the breadcrumbs are a little bit more rare these days, though mm-hmm. so it's a lot more just official communications of like what's happening and whatnot. Yeah. But yeah, definitely during those early days when like the world was an open sea and like anything was possible, all the institutions are going to adopt crypto tomorrow you know, yeah. then there are all these breadcrumbs, you know, some of them came to fruition, some of them not so much, but you know, who knows yeah. what's going on behind the doors. I honestly, and I think Kate, you can re- relate to, to
0: this with fracks. Cause I feel like we're hunting for fracks breadcrumbs and we're the ones transmitting the information because it's quite dense. Like the docs are dense. You have to like sc- scour for interviews. Um, we do the interviews ourselves and then we just put it into words. And also Sam, our producer as well um, put it into words for people can understand whether it's like tweets or memes or, you know, podcasts or whatever. So, you know, I feel like we, we can relate in that regard.
2: Yeah. Even if like the information's public, like you said, if it's like in a doc and it's very technical and it's like 50 pages, like it could be public, but nobody's going to digest it. Like you need to put it in a podcast format or tweet thread or, like, a simpler blog post, and then people start to understand yeah. like, know, Most of the breadcrumbs are in the Telegram. It's just Sam
0: Kaz <laughs> Telegram <laughs> message. That Those yeah. are the breadcrumbs. <laughs> like, And that's it. if you just pay attention to that, you know exactly what Frax is up to. Yeah, and,
2: like, it, it's all the info's there, but, like, digesting it, putting it all, de- all together, connecting the dots, reading through everything, like, that takes time that not everyone has time or interest in doing. So then just, like, distilling that down, then people are like, oh, man, this is valuable. And then that's kind of, like the following starts to come
0: exactly well that's actually quite inspiring for us because you were doing it back in 2019 and now we're doing it in 2023 um and you know i think we're all just like we all agree like there's a lot of work to be done in our respective communities um i want but i want to go back to 2020 to the question i had before so like what were your thoughts when you saw like all these different like farms and protocols and DeFi products come out of nowhere it's like wow like crypto actually has a use case like Wow, Chainlink is being used for all these different protocols. It's like an important component in synthetics. It's a vital component to Aave. Like, what were you think? Like, what were your thoughts? You're like, oh wow, it's like the oracle. The thesis is coming true. Like, what? What are your thoughts?
2: Yeah, it it was kind of surreal in some aspects because I'd been following uh, DeFi for a while. Like, I used Ethlend, which like the precursor to Aave. I used Uniswap V1, like the beginning. Like, I used compound like i used all these things at the beginning but they're all like niche It had like a million dollars in tvl like it was it was interesting but i was like okay that's cool but then like in 2022 compounded their liquidity mining and you know that's when things started to really kick off and so like it seemed like DeFi mass adoption of course was like right around the corner you know ave was blowing up and you know scared by Chainlink, all these different uh different farms i've actually been following Yearn for a while like andre since it was like i yearn and like it was the initial like uh liquidity shifting between like ave compound and whatnot and then he launched the wi-fi token and then that's when things like started to go like just bananas <laughs> best way to put it like every day there was another yield farm and there was yams and then there was sushi and then there was all these like different and blue kirby yeah the kirby. The yeah the blue cl- kirby and then yeah you know, other like than Shaman Sh-
0: god now. like the greatest like community advocate <laughs> yeah, <good laughs> like, marketer that guy like who incredible storytelling i don't think he was he didn't explain things like you did he wasn't technical yeah. he was just he was just the hype character man. yeah yeah
2: yeah he was definitely a hype man he was very interesting <laughs> yeah
0: it's speaking of yams i think the funny the the funniest and craziest fact about yams and wi-fi is that when yams launched their farm like 50 percent of wi-fi like all wi-fi in circulation went into the yam farm which had like a buggy contract
2: <laughs> yeah the, i mean those were the days where, like okay. you could put money in a contract and like your money didn't do anything you just sat there and then you just got tokens in return like it was the most risk-free even if like the contract broke sometimes <laughs> yeah yeah and then yeah. like as like defi summer evolved it got more and more risky then you had to take on like a permanent loss and then you had to keep exposure to like these pool twos and these governance tokens nobody wanted or like these you know, rotation games yeah yeah the valueless governance tokens that everybody mm-hmm. wanted Like it started to get really crazy, and then like I think after like the sushi migration, I'm like okay, I think I think this Mm. is gonna heat off a little bit, and then it lasts a little bit longer. But then yeah, things now we're in like month what like 36 of the DeFi bear market or something. Since I mean
0: it's almost over. I mean uh, (laughs) Dejan Spartan (laughs) tweeted something not stable. He tweeted like he started the LSD narrative single handedly with one tweet. So I think we're like nearing the end of the DeFi bear market
2: yeah but i think like looking back obviously what fueled most of that was just the money printers that oh, 100%. It. yeah i mean a lot of useful epic urine came out of it and you know sushi a bunch of different protocols came out of it most of them died but like you know it showed like the real value but obviously if your system is just circular speculation that you know then it, it's not gonna last forever and then it evolved to become the l1 rotation and then you know now it's gonna be yeah. something else yeah and it proved that you could do stuff on chain and without DeFi 5 summer
0: i don't think the three nft bull runs that just happened <laughs> like right. in one cycle would have happened because it's like oh you can do stuff on chain now but yeah, yeah. It did. yeah it did turn into the l1 rotation and then also like the ohm fork rotation this and that like what are your what are your thoughts on like those rotations Were you just like oh this is like too speculative like there's really not much meat there or were you like oh there's like some actual value being here but it's being clouded by speculation
2: yeah. With the Ohm forks, I, I never understood them. I never touched them. I just didn't get it. I'm like, this is way beyond me. But with mm-hmm. the with the L1, I rode some of those waves, but to me, it was more like I, you know, from DeFi summer, I kind of knew what was happening. Um, and then I, I ended up writing like a blog post about exactly what happened. But like, to me, like there was, you know, some chains that had some innovations, they had some useful properties doing something new. But a lot of the times they were just kind of a fork with a money printer. And it seemed kind of obvious that like, that I wasn't. It wasn't clear to me like why everybody was so into it. Obviously, the money, but like beyond that, like people were like super passionate about these these fork chains, and so to me it felt kind of hollow. It's so, like I wrote some of them just because like I'm not going to leave money on the table. <laughs> mm-hmm. But you know, to me it wasn't the same energy as as DeFi summer. L1 rotation was longer, but it to me it just wasn't the same energy. It was just kind of the reshuffling of the same exact game over again. Yeah. Yeah. No, so, I couldn't so agree chain more. got.
1: Uh, C O G when did you first actually like dive into crypto full time? Full time was it all the way back in 2018 when, when you kind of got uh, when you discovered Chainlink?
2: I mean that that's probably when it like captured the most of my attention. But I think it was it was like after COVID, I was you know I was in college for computer science, and once COVID hit, you know school went online, quality of the education mm-hmm. was shit, and so at that point I'm like, all right, I'm getting more out of crypto than I'm getting out of school. So at that point, I basically just I dropped out. And then that's when I started, you know, just doing the crypto stuff full time at that point. So like like midway through the journey, although I guess not so much anymore. But yeah, that's you know, had been in there for a couple of years at that point. Paid your dues. Drop out,
1: bullish. Frog <laughs> meme profile picture, bullish. <laughs> Lake Marines
0: bullish. Very bullish. Um, so speaking of so there's all these different rotations and you know different categories and themes that came up i want to get into stable coins and like everything that's happened like that happened in the past and like what's happening now so like you know so what are your thoughts on you know kind of curves economics because that's been like the longest game that has played out that started in DeFi summer and mm-hmm. it's still like the V economics have like you know still going like it's, you know the games are still being played like frax is obviously big player you know still uh Sending those own incentives and whatnot, and being a big player in that ecosystem. What are your thoughts on like how Curve has like done their incentive structure?
2: Yeah, Curve's a funny one because I remember in DeFi summer, everyone thought the tokenomics were terrible and predatory, and everybody you know was like the laughing stock. And then like a year later, everyone's like, "Oh my god, this is the best thing ever!" I and think. Really <laughs> yeah, and then everybody was a votescrow token at that point. I think yeah. the the structure makes sense if you have revenue. If you don't have revenue, then it's just a Ponzi game. But if you have revenue, like the aligning, the incentive, like it works really well for specific types of applications where you need token holders to direct where subsidies go. Um, and that's that that's the incentive alignment. It works fairly well out. And then obviously, you know, we had Convex that was built on top of it. And then now there's, you know, Union built on top of that. And it's gotten a little bit more complicated since the early days. But I think the structure makes sense. It's definitely like has Ponzonomics to it. I think every economic model has some of that to it. But I think yeah. their structure at least made a little bit more sense of like, aligning incentives you're locked up if you want to direct where subsidies go and you get paid for that like that structure makes sense but i think like the high inflation at the beginning definitely spooked people uh yeah and if it's sustainable it just depends on what the demand is for curve if there's lots of demand for curve it'll do great if there's not it'll fall apart and that's ultimately like no matter what economic model they chose that would be kind of the scenario yeah i got so it seems like you
0: have like your own methodology in judging DeFi protocols or tokenomics Uh, So, like, what do you look for when, like, kind of analyzing these protocols and, like, oh, like, uh, whether you decide to, like, put into it or just, like, farm it or what, like, what are your metrics?
2: Yeah, I mean, the first one, but, like, before the metrics is, like, what are they trying to solve? Like, are they actually going to solve a real opportunity? Is this going to be something people want to use? Then it kind of comes down to, like, what's the revenue opportunity going to be, like, in the future? Like, is this nice infrastructure, but it's just a public good? You know, kind of like uniswap, or is it something that can actually be tangibly monetized um, realistically? And then once you kind of dive into that, you can dive into the core metrics, which really it seems like these days, you know, it's really core uh, revenue. Like that's what everyone's going to look at. That's the most important metric, comparing revenue against how much you know the operating costs are. And these protocols will love you to love to tell you how much revenue they generate, but then they don't want to tell you how much their operating costs are. Which you know, I get that, but it makes it a little bit hard to figure out like what the financials are of the protocol. And then just seeing what the growth of that revenue is over time. Are they growing users? Are they just engaging in Ponzonomics? Like, you know, if the DeFi ecosystem shifts towards mass adoption, which I think is real world assets, are they going to go along with that? Or are they going to go down like the DeFi degen route and kind of keep doing their own thing? Because that'll depend on if they're actually going to be a revenue cash cow king or they're just going to keep doing the Ponzonomic metagames, which are kind of different routes. So I think the core metric is really like revenue. And then, of course, like daily active users, which isn't always relevant and you're lending. If you're lending, you're not actively using it, but you are using it implicitly. So like it's not a perfect metric and people love their TVL, which is, it's, it's a decent metric, but also as we saw with like Solana, it could easily be gamified. So like that yeah. one you just have to be careful with. Yeah, so basically it's like, what is the problem uh, that the protocol is
0: trying to solve? And then it's like, is it sustainable and bring in revenue? And then after that it's like, okay, like what users, and then you can kind of get more, like, subjective with the metrics. Like, what could be users, could be TVL, could be something else. Um, that's a pretty solid methodology there.
2: Yeah, and it, it was a, lot, a large part of it is, like, you know, are, you know, are you investing in a team? Like, maybe the built product they're building right now doesn't end up working out. But if they're a good team, they know how to pivot, they're not going to, you know, stick in their heels. Then, you know, the next product they may create may be the real revenue opportunities you know, do they have the right vision of like what the space needs? Maybe the demands of the space shifts and they no longer needs that thing they built anymore, so then they pivot to mm-hmm. the next thing the space needs like you know looking at what the team does is also really important versus just the protocol itself, yeah, it's like the
0: stuff like on chain and also like the layer zero stuff off chain right. yeah, exactly and, the human and,
1: element and and c o g clearly you approach you know your analysis in a very fundamental and very you know pragmatic and thoughtful way do you take that same lens when it comes during the bull market mania where literally anything goes up and the more stupid it is the higher it goes up
2: yeah that's the tricky one because like in a bull market I never understood the nft mania I still don't understand it i touched some of them I got burnt by some of them i hold some like useless valueless shovels but like to me it's like that's where it starts to get tricky because it's like i know what fundamentally has value but then that you know dog coin or like that l one fork yeah. chain that does absolutely nothing blows up and it's just like to me i'm not good at like shutting off my brain and going full ape degen mode like i'm mm, people have like a perception that like i'm super you know i was in DeFi summer so i must be a degenerate but like even in DeFi summer i only did the most conservative strategies i've only been rugged once and it was on andre eminence thing like I, oh I, I remember that one wow, yeah the, back <laughs> yeah that one not so great I didn't lose that much but like otherwise i've kind of avoided all these major explosions because i'm so conservative and so like that doesn't pay off very well in a bull market relatively in a bear market obviously everyone's bleeding but i'm not blowing up at the same time so like it's maybe it's painful at the time in the bull market but then in hindsight it was better to be conservative than to go full DJ. Yeah. i think it's because in a
0: bull market Everything is just so narrative driven and meme driven, mm-hmm. and like you can just yeah. if something's just funny, like Dogecoin or Shiba, or like you just gotta left curve it, and like and then it just yeah. goes up, like or like the number NFTs. I was just talking about that the other right, day with right, someone, right. like that was so. it was like, oh, one 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 nine nine nine, like selling for how many ETH? Like some things are just you know go down in human nature, or uh, just like humans are just they, they're like, oh, this kind of sounds funny, sounds cool, and you know the irrationality of
2: human nature and you can't really you can't really analyze that yeah and that's the aspect i'm not good at and i know i'm not good at so i just don't touch it because i know i'll get burnt like i've there's some of the games i've engaged in but like i tend to leave way earlier than everyone else and so like it doesn't pay off as well as it could but ultimately i'm not going to risk getting blown up because of it like it's lower risk low reward but that's i've found more sustainable i
0: think by the time like your like your fundamental analysis is more like the norm then the meme coins are the norm then we know like the space
2: has reached a point of maturity. yeah once it's less about like the JPEG NFTs and more about like can we bring this mortgage on chain and is that going to be useful for people like that would be the best case scenario. I, I don't know when that's gonna happen. I think there's a lot of external variables that depend on you know regulation and UX and infrastructure and like all that has to be built out. I think that's the future. And if that's not the future of crypto, then I'm probably not going to be in crypto <laughs> if it's just going to be uh, Ponzi metagames forever. like That's not yeah. why I joined the space. Yeah, so you're a real big proponent oh. of real-world assets. It's pretty wow. clear,
0: both like with your answers and obviously Chainlink oracles. Like, can you give your real-world asset thesis?
2: Yeah, in my sense, that a lot of the infrastructure that's been built in crypto, which I'm mostly interested in DeFi, I think Web3 Gaming has an opportunity. I think that's... Other external stuff, domain names are interesting. I think that like DeFi is probably one of the bigger use cases of crypto, like this from simple payments to more advanced infrastructure. But all that's kind of been built has been for speculating on tokens, tokens which have value because they can monetize other people speculating on them. And it's very circular. And to me, you know, that just doesn't last. It's like, what? why is this phase useful? In my sense, we're stress testing the infrastructure. We're stress testing Aave, Compound, Maker, Uniswap, all these things like we're making sure that they actually work and for the most part they have worked and they gotten better chainlink has been building services to support that and they've gotten better throughout this uh, whole cycle as well but like what is the ultimate point of crypto like is it just to make money or are we trying to improve society itself like make better infrastructure replace trusted intermediaries with more automated protocols that have less uh, you know corruption points and so in my sense like What's useful is what people want. People want dollars. They want assets. They want commodities. They want equities. They want securities. Like, you know, there's Ponzonomics in traditional finance as well, but like, it's more rooted in businesses. Like, you know, when a company raises money, it's because they want to offer some product. And so, like, that to me is the natural direction of where crypto is going to go if it's going to actually make society better. And so, like, to me, this thesis is already being kind of proven through stablecoins. Like, there's a hundred billion dollars worth of stablecoins that survived this entire cycle. Things like USDC, uh, USDT, all these other ones, like they've survived. There's clear demand. The next step is like gold, homes, equity, like all these other things is going to actually fuel crypto and actually you know, provide infrastructure for people where they can engage in commerce with each other without having to distrust each other or screw each other over. Like it's much more trust minimized, even if it's not pure defined 100% decentralized. It doesn't matter. It's better than the status quo. And, you know, if I take an, an alternative look at it, you know, the revenue opportunities are way bigger. Like crypto itself is so small compared to traditional markets, mm-hmm. currencies, like the derivatives market is absolutely gigantic. Like it's incomparable mm-hmm. to what crypto is. So if you care about making money, then you should be building use cases that are useful to society because they can generate way more money than puns and metagames, in my opinion. So like for everybody, it just makes sense. But the thing is, it's not easy or would have already been built. There's a lot of it easy
0: and it's not yes. fast. No, not at all. And people expect things to be fast, like oh, like this contract's like live. Oh, this website's live. Just like click a few buttons, boom, you're farming. But with, um, especially with real world assets, there's so many different layers, like an onion. You have to like go through to get them on chain. And I've like looked into it a bit. Like you have to like get like LLC, like wrap it in some NFT token, this and that. It seems like a giant legal mess. So like, how do you envision like mortgages coming on chain? are like could they even come on shane yet if not that's fine and if or and if they can like what would it
2: look like so i think that i mean the issue primarily you know crypto is still a major regulatory gray area and so like everyone's kind of do things that like they're gonna they're not gonna ask for permission they're gonna ask for forgiveness type thing like it's kind of the same thing uber did like what uber was doing initially was completely illegal but they make they became so systemic that like now they're just like the new part of like how people you know Move around in society and so like crypto is kind of going down that same path of like we're going to build this infrastructure we're going to prove that it's useful and then we're going to ask for forgiveness and like part of that is there needs to be more clear regulatory frameworks which the three-letter agencies haven't been very kind breathing down DeFi protocols and then turning their back and kind of ignoring the real issues of ftx and whatnot it's like that's a whole thing that's kind of external to our industry but once there's more regulatory clarity and it's not like banning crypto or forcing kyc in everyone but like it's like sandbox type environments. Then at that point, more traditional institutions, which are like service providers, asset asset custodians, they'll feel comfortable actually stepping into this ecosystem. They'll work with the web three startups to start building solutions. And then it'll kind of snowball from there. So like, until we have the regulatory clarity, we're kind of at a standstill where like only the most like daring is really going to break through that and take the risk of getting completely obliterated by a three letter agency because they step too close to the sun. So like, That's why there's not as much, it's way safer, ironically, to create a Ponzi metagame that has no fundamental value because it's valueless versus like a real world asset, which is like highly regulated in this area where it's really unclear and it's regulations that fundamentally can't be complied with. So like, what are you supposed to do? (laughs) So like, it's not an easy thing to solve. I think ultimately we just need that clarity and people just to to build it anyways, basically.
0: Yeah. We need people that have the balls to build and we need Congress to actually say like, this is what is a token and this is what is not a token or this is what like qualifies as a security this and that like for for me i this is a prediction of
1: mine and you know how we have initially code audits on smart contract was not really like a a thing whereas nowadays there are a a lot of firms who offer code audits i think there's going to be a similar thing when it comes to regulatory audits Whereas like before you launch your smart contract, you get your code audited, and then you also get your regs audited at the same time too. Like, I I think these these two things are gonna be kind of table stakes. Isn't a regulatory
0: uh, audit just a lawyer? Isn't a code review just a code review? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess like a, it's just a dev. I guess like maybe that's a service, you know, that's a service like lawyers can provide is like regulatory review, like, you know, streamlined that's actually a good idea yeah, and,
1: and and they do that already it's called an opinion letter when you go to oh, a yeah. law firm and they just like write it for you and they're like okay i think that's what it is and then you kind of run with it but I, but no law firm right now would ever step in front and write that for you unless you pay them buku dollars right yeah, yeah and that's, that's kind of the
2: the problem is like if you want to go down that route today like it's going to be so unbelievably expensive like if you're a scrappy startup you're just a dev like you can't afford like a six-figure lawyer to give you a a slight okay in a letter that he won't let you publish publicly like it's it's tricky in my sense like if there's like a sandbox of like you know for one or two years you can kind of do your thing but then you need to come into compliance and like figure Mm -hmm. out how that may be a structure that could work obviously you still need to shut down the frauds and like the obvious schemes and the lies like that's Mm -hmm. obviously never going to work but you know the the cost of regulatory compliance is just you know it's going to spook everybody's way nobody Mm -hmm. wants to be a security it's too expensive blocks all your consumers and it just kills your project. It's not that securities are bad. It's all the strings that are attached to it that makes you uncompetitive, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, there is a precedent to that sandbox. It's just not
0: written in law. And that's with Ethereum, because you know, the SEC stated years ago, you know, when Ethereum did their token sale, it was indeed a security, but over time it decentralized enough where it was mm-hmm. not a security. So there's some, you know, standing there on, on that argument. It's just like a matter of like putting into law like federally like it's there's a few states where it is like wyoming and i think arizona as well but um you know it would be nice to get that clarity, that just like a framework there
2: yeah and it's unfortunately i don't, I don't know if realistically you could do an ethereum type ico these days it seems like that's no basically impossible no. unfortunately which means everybody complains about the token distribution and new tokens but they don't really have a choice but to sell to vcs because they can't sell to retail users so they're going to have to do that, or just give all their tokens away, or it, the current incentives are just completely so malformed. Like the only tokens you can create have to be valueless. And If they're valuable, well then you can't make them, which is like that's the worst possible. It's the worst possible incentive you can you can create for developers. Mm-hmm. Like if there is that sandbox, you can do an Ethereum like ICO, but you need to have clear you know transparency in what you're building and actually deliver it. And if you gauge in fraud, there will be you know accountability for that. But today it's just kind of like nope, you gotta to sell to the vcs and then the vcs will dump on the retail that's just the way of the world <laughs> which yeah you know, not great not yeah.
1: great and and i feel like securities regulation is just really the tip of the iceberg right like if we want to go a bit deeper into like you know, rwas we need a regulatory body or like even the municipality to recognize that like hey this deed that was put onto the blockchain i you know kit city Recognizes that this deed is indeed real, and that and that my clerk at, at, at the city hall is going to you know accept this deed transferred to another person. So I, I think like the regulatory at that level is also needed rather than just a broad stroke securities kind of regulatory.
2: Yeah, I mean it's kind of two step. It's like one, you can wrap existing assets into a token like claim on that asset, and then you know maybe people accept it, maybe they don't, and then it's like actually issuing the asset as a token. You know. The revenue share contract token that is the mm-hmm. asset itself it doesn't represent anything off chain that is the real world asset and it's like once we step into that area that'll be when real world assets but yeah like you said like it has to be actually accepted by people and businesses and businesses won't accept it if the regulatory clarity on how they can accept it yep. is not clear because they're just it's not worth the risk for them yet yeah do you imagine like the, within like the next
0: two years some major regulatory clarity To actually pass and come about, whether it's like through the like the laws being passed by Congress or court decisions.
2: Yeah, that's where it gets tricky to project. For me, it's like there's two different paths of like one, some other country is going to create an acceptable regulatory environment, and all the companies and businesses and developers are going to go there, either like physically or like virtually, and that'll be the innovation hub, and we'll be left in the dust, or we'll actually get our shit together and start building some frameworks so we can keep all this uh you know all this innovation uh on shore and then of course you know be taxed and it's it's in their interest to do this as well but like which way we're gonna go i don't know it doesn't seem like we're being very uh we're being very hostile and so like i'm cautiously optimistic but if it's gonna happen three years i feel like it's gonna be five to ten years like i feel like it's gonna take way longer than we think to be established once it is established you know this adoption is gonna happen way faster than we think but like when that catalyst is, it could be in a year. It could be in ten years. That, yeah. That's just completely unclear at this point. Yeah. So
0: you you said mentioned stuff that actually, kid. Did you have a question you want to? Yeah, say? Yeah. I just
1: just a quick follow up. I was like, do you, do you think this regulatory kind of clarity would just happen in a natural course as a, even if we don't do anything, or is there some active participation, some uh, aggressive lobbying that the DeFi slash crypto industry needs to do to kind of push it forward
2: yeah i think there definitely needs to be lobbying i mean it's such a complex technology that if we just want regulators to understand it on their own they're going to take their sweet time and they're going to misinterpret it like ironically that's what ftx was trying to do but obviously they were doing it in a self-serving manner and they were yeah. you know, doing it for themselves and they weren't going against DeFi. so like that you kind of have to deal with like uh, adverse malicious lobbyists and i'm sure crypto lobbyists is like a a bad term in dc now because of ftx yeah. unfortunately so like that may have delayed things unfortunately but like without lobbying which is just unfortunately how our system works things aren't really going to be much pushed forward unless you know I, th- I think coinbase is doing some good things suing you know the tr- uh the treasury over tornado cash you know mm. trying to set some lines like if we don't do that and defend ourselves they're just gonna like walk all over us e- exactly and like they're just not going to let what we do because they're not going to understand the purpose of it and so we have to show them and you know, show them we could be the adults in the room. Fortunately, that's really hard to do when everything just blew up. But we we need to do that in order for uh, anything realistic to get done. We need a consortium
1: of gods. Chainlink God, Ave God, Curve God, Frax God.
0: We need a crypto Twitter (laughs) delegation to DC and like actually like sit down with these congressmen, congresswomen, aides, um, lobbyists, and like set the record straight. I mean – there are organizations that are dedicated to that as their job, like the Coin Blockchain Association. Yeah, Coi, Frax donated 60k to Coin Center actually, um, mm-hmm. and like that's their full time job. Is that and like DC is such a different game than you know what we're used to, like on chain, like the literal politics you have to play. Like I remember I went to a conference back in June that was a crypto DC conference, and it was such a different vibe because these congressmen. They have so many different things on their plate. They have like what their yeah. constituents care about. They have like their own agendas, this and that. And crypto for a lot of them is a footnote. There's only like a few Congress people that have like crypto at the top of their priorities. And that's like Tom Emmer from Minnesota. Uh, you see Ted Cruz, a bit advocate. Um, Cynthia from Wyoming. So like it's getting like becoming more of an issue and more people did get voted in. But it's just like, a, it's, like you said, it will take probably eight to 10 years. This stuff takes time.
2: Yeah, and I think realistically, like the, the politicians don't want to get uh, flamed by their population, basically. So they're only realistically going to do something if they have pressure applied to them by lobbyists, but also by regular consumers. If they say, you know, crypto is an issue that I care about, it's going to change how I vote, then that's going to actually going go up their priority list. But like at this point, you know, because, you know, how we explain crypto and the UX and all the Ponzi and the schemes, most people don't have that great of a view of crypto. And therefore, politicians are like, why should I care? Like, nobody yeah. I work for or determines why I'm here cares. So, like, the incentives are just completely mm-hmm. misaligned at this point. So, you're telling me somebody named d
0: Carl is advocating for Ponzi-nomics. What? Like, if you're like a <laughs> congressman reading that, you're like, what, what is going on over there?
2: <laughs> yeah, and unfortunately, it's like so many projects in crypto are just a complete sham or a complete yeah. grift. And so it's Mm -hmm. like, you have to be able to explain like, yeah, there's all these grifts and all these terrible things, but there is real core value underneath it all. And people love to focus on the surface level shit because it's really easy to point at versus the real fundamental value. To the untrained eye, it's so hard to
0: tell like what's a grift and what's actual substance. And that's a big problem.
2: Yeah. And a lot of the times the lines could be a little bit blurred or like a system. The only way it can come into existence is through speculation and Ponsonomics and then they can eventually evolve into a state where they're sustainable and more legitimate but like that model is not exactly clear if that transition is ever going to happen and what projects are legitimate or not it's like even average consumers don't know it's like how are you supposed to create a framework for this stuff when you know it could be so easily abused and taken uh you know to just harm people even more it's like there are legitimate concerns but doing nothing has harmed more people so it's not a viable move either yeah, we've been living off-chain for a good amount of time. I want to go back
0: on-chain and I want to get your opinion on like what what are you most excited about on-chain? Like protocols being developed on-chain, next generation of defi.
2: Yeah, I think that a lot of like the core defi primitives have kind of been established at this point. It's really refining what exists. So like, you know, mm-hmm. there's money markets, there's stable coins, there's derivatives, there's dexes. They're generally good, you know, they're not perfect, they're being refined. Um, and so I think that'll continue. I think obviously I mentioned before, but like real world assets, if you hot swap those in, you know, you're going to juice up the system way more and become way more relevant. My sense is that a lot of what's going to make the, make a difference is things on like the margins. So like the user experience of how you interact with these things, the middleware infrastructure of how, you know, how's a website architectured, you know, how do you connect to the oracles? How do you connect to like the data indexing? How do you do custody services? That's still not great right now for most people i mean i've seen so many people recently lose their private key even like core bitcoin devs losing yeah
0: yeah that's and then hacking the fbi
2: yeah and then you have north korea hacking you know the ronin bridge and taking hundreds of millions of dollars and so like you know you have these bad actors and so it's like we need to be able to build that infrastructure and particularly i think cross-chain is gonna like anything we can do to abstract away complexities which I feel cross-chain bridges will really do to, you know, you don't need to manage gas or you need to manage token approvals or all these other complex nuances that nobody should realistically ever have to deal with. Once Mm -hmm. we can have those abstraction layers, then what we built becomes way more viable because what we built is, you know, it's already most of the use cases. It's the ones we haven't built is because they're not technically feasible yet or because they're not regulatorily feasible yet. So we just need to supplement all that and kind of fuel what we built. Have, like uh, something that I'm really excited about, and like one
0: of like the things I look for for stuff, especially protocols on chain, is like how this is kind of counterintuitive, but how oracle less can they be? Like I get really excited when they like don't have to use an outside oracle because that's a dependency from the outside world that they don't have to use. Um, so like I bl- I was super interested when I saw like these new option protocols come out, whether it's Gamma Swap, which just released, they're definitely on their testnet now. It's also Panoptic which uses Uniswap v 3 as the primitive. So what are your thoughts on like these protocols that take the oracleless approach?
2: Yeah, th- I think one, there's like two trains of thought of like, how can we remove oracles as much as possible? And the mm-hmm. other train of thought is how can oracles make this use case better and more advanced? And so I think there's, you know, mm-hmm. legitimate arguments for both sides of those. I think there are some applications that don't need oracles. Uniswap just exists, the market does the arbitrage and it just, it works as designed. You don't need oracles. And I think other use cases fundamentally don't work without oracles or if you try to build it without oracles you're going to be introducing trade-offs and maybe those trade-offs are acceptable but they're trade-offs nonetheless. I mean using oracles also has its trade offs so you just have to kind of pick and choose do you want more complex uh, applications or do you want to leave it more to game theory and so it's kind of it's really on a use case by use case specific basis. I would, I would say that probably most valuable smart contract applications require oracles in some manner uh, whether that be for data itself, or that's off-chain compute scalability, you know, some privacy solution with zero-knowledge proofs, some cross-chain interoperability, transaction automation—like the scope of what Oracles do are broader than just data itself. It's every other external service that a blockchain doesn't offer. And so, in my sense that Oracles can supercharge the ecosystem. You know, the Oracle needs of each application can be different. You can build an application for the Oracles, but in many cases, you can make the application better. With the oracles. So, like, I'm all for exploring these different design spaces and seeing what works, what doesn't work. But in my mind, most applications that are going to be useful will inevitably require oracles in some way. And then it's just determining how do we make it trust minimized? How do we make it so the trade offs are worth using? Because anything useful is going to have trade offs uh, inevitably. I, I like the reframing you did there. It's like, it's not like how can we remove oracles, but
0: it's no, it's how can we have oracles improve the protocol? Nice.
2: Yeah, and I feel like once you kind of say that, people go, "Okay, maybe maybe oracles could be useful." But like, I I get the perspective of like, let's remove all dependencies. But like, the most depend dependency less thing is just a token, you know. And it's like, okay, that's great, but you can't really do anything. And then once you want to start doing things, then you need dependencies, oracles, or other infrastructure. And like, it's not as pure and trust minimized and decentralized. And then you kind of have this like it's almost like a culture clash of like, do we want to build things that are Practical, or you want to build things that are idealistic? I think it's just a spectrum. You just have to find where in that spectrum something useful is. Mm. Got
0: it. And so, like, kids, you have a question? Yeah, yeah. I, I wanted to ask his thoughts on like,
1: you know, I, I mean, this completely separately, but about the L ones, like, because I saw. Can, you... I, can I actually ask the okay, question
0: that has to do with it, and then we'll do L one So, like, go ahead. Speaking of like other things on chain that can be integrated, like. One thing that has really caught my eye recently is Eigenlayer. And Eigenlayer presents itself as outsourcing trust of middleware products like it could be like Oracles, automation. Like instead of having a separate token uh, with that you have to stake and have security, you can just, you know, add like some extra slashing conditions and boom, like your network is uh secured by or your product is secured by Eigenlayer or your even network, your L1 or this and that, depending on like what you want to use it for. What are your thoughts on Eigenlayer and how it could be integrated with Oracles? Do you see it as like something Chainlink can integrate? Do you see it as a competitor? Do you see it as like too hyped up? Like, What are your thoughts on Eigenlayer if you looked into it?
2: Yeah, one thing I would say, I'm not an expert on it. I just want to mm-hmm. preface with that. I've looked into mm-hmm. it a little bit. I think it's useful for middleware that can be set up so it's set and forget, and it doesn't have additional external costs. So it's just something extra you run. And you can pretty much leave it that's pretty much how eth validation works you turn on the box you make sure the box is running and it mm-hmm. kind of does its own thing with oracles it gets a little bit more complicated because you're connected to the real world you have to manage data provider subscription you have to manage like the gas coins you have to manage the different services determine what services you want to provide and so it's a lot less set and forget and that requires a lot more costs to manage and in my sense this you know the restaking works when you, the only requirement is stake collateral. But when you have tokens, in my mind, the fundamental thing they solve is the chicken or egg problem when you're bootstrapping a network and there's no fees and you need to bootstrap the supply side of a validator market, you can use tokens to subsidize that supply side to provide useful services that then attracts the demand side, which pays in fees, and then eventually creates a more sustainable economy where you don't need subsidies anymore. And so when you're creating a model that doesn't have a token, you're starting from zero you know who's going to want to run infrastructure that has all these management costs all these complexities all these things you need to manage and get slashed and then you're not getting paid for it. it it just doesn't seem realistic to bootstrap that into existence particularly when running an oracle is basically a full-time job it's basically a business running that it's not like a piece of thing you run on a node in your closet or something like it's a business and so at that point it makes more sense to be using basically the standard network that already has the users, already has the infrastructure, all the tools, all the monitoring software, and then getting paid for that because there's already demand for it. So in my mind, it's not impossible to build an Oracle on something like Eigen eigenlayer, like restaking system, but it doesn't necessarily seem practical to me to even bootstrap that off the ground. And then there's the whole other discussion of like, are permissionless Oracle's even a good thing when they can dilute quality and introduce attack vectors that allowing users to choose their own oracles uh doesn't have that issue so like in my mind it's possible i don't really see it as a threat because i don't see it as practical personally but i'm sure there's other middleware solutions where they are more set and forget and it can work more seamlessly and it can work fine then you know not everything needs a token but if you need to bootstrap a two-sided marketplace that has lots of costs for providing that supply it just doesn't work as well in my opinion got it
0: that's a very good take because you're right it's not, when you just have like a few extra steps, you know, that doesn't take into account like all the other stuff you have to do to run an Oracle properly.
2: Yeah. And Oracle's, it's one of those things that like, it seems simple. You take data, you put it on the blockchain, people consume it, but you know, you're connecting a highly deterministic smart contract system to a highly unpredictable, undeterministic real world where there's always changing conditions. You know, when the world, you know, the world's second largest exchange implodes, how are you going to handle it as an Oracle, you know? <laughs> Is yeah. your data provider going to be compliant? are they handling it? Are you going to be able right. to switch data providers in minutes in order right, to prevent an right. issue? Do you have enough gas in your wallet when some nFT drops and gas prices are now seven thousand dollars per transaction? like how are you going to handle that situation so it's like it's all under normal operations oracles are easy but there's just a million edge cases you have to account for and so yeah. that's where all these other oracles tend to trip over themselves because it's not intuitive and it's really complicated you just have to learn yeah. through trial and error but nobody wants to you nobody wants to be the guinea pig. Basically. I have, we'll I have one more. I have one more question, and then to follow up
0: on that. Uh, speaking of data availability, which is, seems to be a big theme that's coming up, it's, there's a lot of talks on DevCon about it. Like, what are your thoughts on proto deng sharding and dang sharding, and like how could that be used to help Chainlink out?
2: Yeah, I think with those, effectively, you know, by providing data availability, it helps rollups and L2 networks significantly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the largest operating costs of Oracle's is the gas costs of putting stuff on chain. So if, you know, you're able to reduce that costs, you're able to become a way more sustainable network. And so, you know, with, with proto-dank sharding and, you know, eventually at some point dank sharding, you know, it's going to boost the performance of Arbitrum, optimism, all these all these roll-ups will be way cheaper. Ideally, devs move to those networks where cert- Oracle services can operate way faster for way cheaper. So like, it's not necessarily a direct benefit, but it's very much an economic indirect benefit. That's... It's good for users. Okay. It's good for developers. It's good for Oracles. It's it's good for everybody involved, basically. Okay, got it. Kit you can go with your question. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. So
1: no, no no absolutely. We we've largely talked about ETH, like this, you know, the for the majority of uh, our, our on-chain conversations so far. And but I want to get your thoughts because you did write a L1 rotation, you know. Kind of a post mortem analysis on, on that whole thesis, like with all the innovation going on in ETH right now, like do you think there's even space for, for other L1s or is it going to be like basically an, the L2 wars between uh, building everything on ETH?
2: Yeah, and that, and that one that like there's also like there's different schools of thought. I think that a lot of L1s just kind of copy paste, they tweak a couple parameters if they're just purely. A rotation game they're not going to be very sustainable nobody really cares there are some chains doing something genuinely different i would argue Solana is doing something completely different that's you know the the soy and aptos or yep. you know maybe you disagree with the trade-offs but they are legitimately doing something different and i think that has value for some types of applications web3 gaming works very well there um but i think the vast majority of you know if you talk about finance high value things you know you want the network effects you want the composability you want the you want the strong security and when you're using alternative networks that only tweak a couple parameters, they're just going to be smaller. And so, if you're able to use the security of the strongest network, which is you know Ethereum, um, and then you're able to build those applications on a layer above that provides additional benefits and gets the security from Ethereum, there's not a large reason to use anything else unless you're being paid to and you're given a grant by an right. L1 to build on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, which you know I'm not going to judge anyone who does that, but you know, it's, for long-term sustainability, a lot of these L1s don't fundamentally do anything that new or like they don't really offer anything significantly better so like people will continue to play those games but i think over the long term most developers and most users will just go down the path of least, mm-hmm. uh, least resistance mm-hmm. which will be app chain l2s it'll be generalized l2s it'll be l3s it'll be validiums roll-ups all these things on the most secure layer because why take the risk of doing something else on a different network yep. that's yeah. yeah more risky worse applications more expensive it, it just Logically, it doesn't really make that much sense to me. So I see a world of L2s. I don't know if it'll be like four L2s, or it'll be hundreds of L2s, or I think that remains to be open. I think there'll be mm-hmm. some other settlement layers like Solana, maybe a couple of others. The Cosmos multi-chain thesis mm-hmm. has its own merit, but every other fork chain that tweaks parameters, I just, oh, I, yeah. I, I don't see them exploding, just like kind of withering away.
1: I recently spoke with a crypto founder, and he explained his philosophy to me, or rather his line of thinking was like, if you are already a founder of a startup, that's already you know really high risk. And on top of that, you want to add on chain risk of building on a chain that may or may not survive. That's just simply untenable. And it's just not very shrewd for you to mm-hmm. take on both those risks at the same time.
2: So yeah and a lot of those devs who do chose to do that it's either because they were given a grant you know right. that's just the only way they can exist or mm-hmm. they see themselves as being the xyz of that new chain you know we're going to be the Uniswap of this new chain we're going to start from a lower floor and we'll have way higher to grow maybe that'll work out but like you said if the chain dies you're kind of fucked in that situation yeah. and is the risk yeah. even worth it if you're really building something useful and new it's not right. doesn't really make sense mm-hmm right you have two existential threats you know
1: your startup could die and the chain could die so
0: yeah and then all the you know i feel like we're all guinea pigs and DeFi, and there's like a hack or exploit both either smart contract or economic like at least every month and at one point it was like every week and so there's so many different things that can go wrong and like taking safety precautions is you know of the utmost importance and highest priority
2: yeah it was mentioned earlier but like everybody in crypto wants everything so fast and so like yeah it leads to like a build fast and break things type mentality which is terrible when you're dealing with people you can't have that with people's money yeah and when you have immutable code and it's public and open source and everybody can look at it and see all the faults you made like it's just that's Mm -hmm. not a good combination and so like projects that actually do take their time and build something secure well then they're being slow and maybe they'll be a little bit less competitive so it's like one of those like perverse incentives and so like you know maybe you could be a little bit more faster on a new chain people are paying less attention to it and then you can secure it up maybe that's a thesis some people have but that that's just kind of like another broken incentive of like if crypto is going to mature we need to move away mm-hmm. from like build and deploy test and production type uh degeneracy yeah um kit did you have any more questions
0: no i'm good no okay i want to chunk down a bit because we've been talking about l1s but i want to chunk down to stable coins And specifically, Frax right now, because I I can tell you're into like, okay, like what's real? What's actually going on on chain? What's getting use? Um, And obviously, stablecoins have proven to be the best use case for crypto so far. Um, And the way Frax has approached stablecoins is, you know, building this DeFi trinity where they'd be like, hey, like, you know, all these different primitives, you know, the AMM, the lending, the money market and the stablecoin, they're actually not separate from each other, they're different parts of the same thing, they're just different parts of like the opportunity gain market share. And so what are your thoughts on like how, on the DeFi Trinity perspective of looking at the space and what are your thoughts on how Frax has executed over the past year?
2: Yeah, I think it's pretty natural for things to consolidate over time. And I think that when when you like vertically integrate the stack, you're able to get a lot more flexibility. And so like, you know, when you look at like revenue opportunities, stable coins is one of the highest extra derivatives. And so when you have a stable coin, you have that revenue generator, but you know, you need liquidity and okay. you need, you know, you need demand, you know, getting interest, being able to borrow and lend it. And so it's kind of natural to consolidate those into yourself. Um, you know, I think there's different schools of thought of, like, you should do. just outsource it. You don't want to deal with building the infrastructure and maintaining it, use what exists, but then, you know, your ability to influence or incentivize the, what you want as, you know, Usually, revenue generation for your protocol is a little bit weaker when you outsource everything, and so I think it's kind of natural to kind of consolidate those together. You know, we're already seeing other protocols like Curve launching a stablecoin, Aave launching a stable coin, different protocol, you know, Uniswap launching an ed- acquiring an NFT dex into itself. Like that type of consolidation is all about increasing revenue opportunities, and so I think that Frax is pretty much going down that route of like they want to grow the Frax stablecoin, which means growing revenue opportunities, and so what better to do that then to basically provide itself its own infrastructure that's needed for its own stable coin. So like, I think the fact that like FRAX survived UST imploding and all that kind of speaks for itself. Mm-hmm. I think people are still wary of all algo stables, although it's in of itself a spectrum of like mm-hmm. pure Ponzi, USDT to like more of a realistic, mostly collateralized, but fluctuating right. collateralization. So like mm-hmm. there's definitely a spectrum then. I'm not, I wouldn't call myself an expert on FRAX or anything. I've, looked into it like you know like a year ago i would say is like when i didn't like a deep dive on it but i think their approach generally makes sense as long as like you know they don't go too far risky down with the how the i don't know if it's referred to as a treasury but like how that's being invested the for amos like that's, the amos yeah, like yeah. That, that, that would yeah. if anything that'd be the achilles heel if that's mis implemented but i can't call yeah. myself an expert to provide an opinion on yeah. how they're doing right now
0: yeah well yeah. how the amos work there's basically like you know Four different functions that an AMO can do, which is de decollateralize, equilibrium, and excess profits go to V VE, VEF excess holders. So it's like it's very strict. I can never mint more than like the protocol like can support. So like they've definitely speaking of being conservative, Frax has definitely been conservative mm-hmm. in the past two years of you know since they launched, especially you know, whether it's AMOs or the way they deploy code because everything they created has been novel it's not like they forked frax swap they built the t wam from the ground up fraxland same thing Uh, of same thing frax ferry same thing (laughs) go on
1: it's funny because frax is like move fast but not break things (laughs) you know
0: (laughs) move move carefully yeah Yeah. move carefully (laughs) Carefully. move carefully be a brain surgeon 100 percent
2: yeah, we call that being agile. It's you have to find that right. You have to find that right balance of like not being disrupted, being innovative, but also not just like blowing up your own protocol, which obviously is yeah, right. not for anyone.
1: <laughs> I mean, speaking of, of a blowing up protocol CLG, I wanted to get your analysis on like the UST and Terra thing. Like, did you take your very uh, robust fundamental analysis to that whole Terra anchor situation, I, I, did you kind of see that coming from a mile away?
2: Yeah, so Terra was one of those things where, like, I never really paid much attention to it until early, like, January this year, and I looked into it, and I basically concluded it was a Ponzi, uh, and I didn't want to touch it, but it's one of those things where, like, I don't want to, like, poke the bear too much, particularly, <laughs> like, a large potential user of chain, like it's always, like, a sensitive thing, and so I just kind of, like, I'm not going to touch it, like, Anchor, 20% yield, a stable coin that's, you know, completely unbacked, like, I'm just not going to touch it, and then, you yeah, know, I wasn't predicting it was going to collapse so soon, but then, you know, obviously it, it did collapse. And so like, in my sense, UST was like, was never going to work in the first place. And it was just continuously being repromped up. I never looked into it because I was never interested in those mm. types of stable coins. Uh, I didn't think they were ever going to work. And they still haven't worked when you go down that 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 model. So like, I don't want right. to say like, you know, oh, I predicted, it. I knew it was going to collapse. But like, when I looked at it, I'm like, okay, no, <laughs> this, this, this doesn't work. I don't know how it's working. I don't get it. I'm not going to touch it. Uh inevitably yeah. it didn't work and then it collapsed. So that's
0: something it seemed like UST was the final conclusion to all the Algo Ponzi stables that were that even first came out back in December 2020. Like ESD, DSD, yeah, a lot yeah. of hype, like a lot of like people behind it. And then, you know, eventually collapsed. And the weather was like that, iron, malt. I could, oh my, there's so many. Like and then the grand finale, UST, um, which was like way bigger of scale than everything else combined um you know and i think after that people are like okay like we've had enough of like this type of model yeah i mean yeah
2: go ahead
1: yeah i just wanted to say like it was the like the experiment or the reason everyone gives like no it it just it didn't you didn't give it enough time to grow like it it didn't get big enough it wasn't mature enough like well this is the Answer the conclusion to that experiment yeah. of letting it grow big enough.
0: <laughs> so it was really interesting. On a previous interview we had several months ago with Bobby Ong, and I remember talking to him about this like when Frax first came out, he expected Frax to go down to like I believe it was like either 70% or 50%. I think it was like 70, 60% mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, uncollateralized, like at it, at its peak. And it, at the end, when it was all said and done, like the lowest Frax went was like. Eighty-two point seven five percent, and then after the whole Luna collapse, Frax has been re-collateralizing back to hundred percent since. And I think at this rate, and also between like what happened with Luna, also like making people feel comfortable, I I would expect to see like hundred percent of collateralization on the horizon. I just I'm not sure how the community feels about this, and also like you know like the name is Frax, but it was still the most capital efficient stablecoin. If, if it is 100% collateralized. It's just like rethinking like the model. It's like, you know, when when something, when you first like think of something or you first create something, it's like, okay, it goes one direction, but you, you think it'll go one direction, but it goes a completely different direction. And has mainly like stayed its course. It's just like a few things like worked out differently here and there. I'm not sure if you guys had thoughts on that.
2: Yeah, I, mean, I think a lot of it comes down to like, maintaining confidence is the most important thing. And so mm-hmm. when you're maintaining confidence in a horrible fucking horrendous bear market, then obviously, you need to go up to the way of like fully collateralized has trade offs naturally. Yeah. It's you know, you know, it's uh basically wrapped USDC, but the advantage is like when the cycle turns around the next time, it's, then it's be- not
0: wrapped USDC though. That's the misnomer. It's frax is backed by all of DeFi, that's the new meme coming around. It's backed by the AMOs with the curve LP tokens, with also like Uniswap you know, LP tokens, Ave tokens, now like frax and primitive So, like, it's basically if USDC wanted to blacklist frax they would have to blacklist curve first and they would blacklist all of DeFi. So, Frax is backed by all of DeFi. Not, it's not wrapped USDC, it's not like MakerDAO with the PSM with 3 billion USDC in it, that like, you know, it's way more riskier than what Frax has. Just want to clear that up because we we get that a lot,
2: but no yeah, worries. We have to.
0: <laughs> we have to.
2: No, yeah, it's it's like it's our, our
0: version of Chainlink FUD, <laughs> like <laughs> the, wrapped USDC. <laughs>
2: You could tell I'm a little rusty, but no, yeah, that makes a lot of no sense. No worries, yeah. If like you want to block yeah, no. it, then it doesn't yeah. really work as effectively, unless they just turn off USDC entirely, <laughs> which there'd be way more <laughs> yeah, implications exactly. out of that. Yeah, then like then it's then it's over. Yeah. <laughs> then then yeah. it's yeah. over. Yeah. <laughs> um, but
0: yeah, yeah. So, Kit, what were your thoughts? I'm chain chainlink god. Did you finish your point there?
2: Yeah, uh, I, I'm still a little bit rusty on Frax, but I think their model seems more scalable. But it's not the degenerate level yeah. that any it's other. It's that degenerate
0: level. Plays. And you can make the argument for FRAX to be under collateralized still even slightly because there's enough liquidity on chain and in ex- existence. Like not only by like this hasn't just been FRAX checked by the FRAX team, but also like Oros Bros Capital, I think someone else too, like they ran the numbers and like FRAX like can't do peg. It's mathematically impossible. But like it's like still like an issue, like it's like, you know, a confidence issue. It's like if, you know, if I'm like a major investor or like an institution, and I look at something like a slightly... Under collateralized, it's like not the best optics, Um, but, you know, um, Kit, what are your thoughts?
1: I think what the FRAX team does great is they are, not only do they ship fast, but they still have like a pulse on the industry. So like they get to build alongside all of the innovations that comes out, right? Yeah, Dropping FRAX ETH where everybody thought the lsd game was over and, and you just use like you know staff
0: it's staff, yeah right?
1: but no but, but they came out and kind of built their own thing they see like this new frontier to like what you know to to clg's credit like to earn more revenue to grow their top line and mm-hmm. i think i mean i really really do hope that in this next cycle people do take on a much more fundamental analysis of things um but i am always wrong so it's probably dog coins are probably going to rule the day still and frankly it's just mentally and, and intellectually easier just to like you know click yeah. buy rather than honestly click it depends more.
0: where <laughs> it depends where interest rates are it depends how much you know real world use cases are on chain like yeah. is payments a big thing are people like actually transferring stable coins a lot p2p like there's a lot of factors that it's going to go into like okay are real things actually gonna you know be valued yeah. properly instead of just meme coins
2: yeah, I find it kind of surprising that like, you know, stablecoins are the primary use case arguably of DeFi itself, but we don't really have like a Venmo type app, or at least like not at the same scale as those other apps where it's, mm-hmm. you know, remittances, but it's mobile payments, but just facilitate through stablecoins. I think, you know, that's all being built and that's, you know, I know like Apple Pay and other ones have integrated USDC and like, you know, there's moves being made there, but I don't think anyone's really conquered that or built the killer stablecoin mm-hmm. transfer app, which is, you know, it's a very simplistic use case. But sometimes the simplicity is what's needed in an ecosystem of extreme yeah. If I had to spe-
0: I'm i going to speculate here a bit. If there, if I had to speculate on like a Frax roll-up, because like we've speculated on that in the past and, you know, Sam has hinted <laughs> at it, something like years down the line, probably like, you know, who knows when, a um, few years, whatever. But like, I would imagine like that roll-up would be like specialized in like payments and like fast and cheap payments, whether it's like an L2 or even like, maybe there's like an L3 that it's just like only like P2P transfers or fracks, like nothing, no DeFi, nothing else, just like, and then like, yeah, you can can go actually like a lot, my brain just went down a hole. You can go like a lot of different angles, like, hey, like maybe on like the L2, you could, you know, use that as collateral and like, there's some storage proof going on and you can like take out a loan on Arbitrum or something, or, or, or on Mainnet. So a lot of different directions I can go, but payments L2 or L3, I could see that happening.
1: Huh. So we're sitting here talking about this like second generation of DeFi, and I, <laughs> I, rem- I remember like you know earlier in this call CLG said you know he thinks it's it's uh you think it's RWAs, but then we dig a little bit deeper and that's five ten years away. So what's going to happen between now and to the five years in your opinion, CLG? Like what what does that next generation of uh, yeah
2: you know, DeFi one point five or you know um, two point that you think? I think on one end one right now is basically survival mode. Can people survive mm. through the fire of when revenues down, people don't want to speculate as much? Can you survive based on the economics that you have or that you can't build? Don't know how long that will last. I think it was mentioned like, you know, when interest rates change or when, you know, there's more mon- more money flooding the system, usually things do better. And so are you able to survive until that point, you know? I don't anticipate too much innovation or if there is, you know, there's just going to be less builders, less users at this point. And I think that Once like real world assets, you know, that inflection point is hit at like five or 10 years, you know, however long it takes. I don't think it's like an overnight type thing. It's not like, oh, we have real world assets. We're good to go. Like it's going to be a continuous process of deploying certain types of real world assets, seeing if they work, you know, kind of skirting around whatever clarity is given in order to build something. And then I think it's going to be like a slow process. It probably won't be majorly adopted at first, but it's more like testing the waters the same way, like pre-DeFi summer. People kind of were just Mm -hmm. testing with Uniswap, testing with Aave and Ethland before that. So like, you know, it's hard to tell like the unknown unknowns of what new use cases will come out. Like I, I never expected NFTs to blow up as big as they did. I thought like DeFi would be first, then maybe people got like NFTs, but like NFTs just took off because that was like the monkey brain uh, activity that went off. So like, there may be another one of those. You know, I feel that Web three gaming is probably going to be a pretty big one. I think most of the relevant ones are probably still being developed at this point. Yeah. And they still need to get past like the Ponzanomics uh, Axie Infinity problems that happened. But like, I do think there's a real possibility for web through gaming and that doesn't care about decentralization yeah. as much. So, I like, think,
0: yeah, there's also like identity that could be a big play, especially with like gaming and, you know, if as mm-hmm. our lives come on chain more, like, but there's privacy concerns. One of my predictions for 2023 that there was going to be like a new round of Ponzi's, but they're going to be DeSai Ponzi's like decentralized science ponies and it's like oh fund this research get an nft like and like people speculate on the nft and it's like the equivalent of bio stocks basically but like done on chain um I like but like the thing is with all the speculation speculation is fun but I feel like it turns off a lot of devs and right now like crypto has competition for dev talent when with AI like AI is now like you know the Mm -hmm. hot girl on this like the new hot girl on the block um and like everyone's like talking about cyber rally this and that and like it is cool it is interesting and like what matters most it's like people are like wow this can like make a tangible difference like it really like gets to people's why if they're doing something so like i feel like if crypto doesn't grow up a little bit then you know the talent is gonna go to other directions
2: yeah i think it's definitely taking a lot of the attention i think that right now it's i mean say ai is like exploratory of like we can build these funny pictures and we can do these different songs and we can do these different, you know, uh, augmenting coding. But it's like they're already faster towards reaching where world use cases than crypto has over the past 10 years, yeah. which is a little yeah, concern that in our industry. If that's if we can't catch up or we can't provide something alternatively, then it's just going to be the AI will be the narrative for the next couple yeah. of years. And I, yeah. I think part of that is like
0: regulation was clear. Like if there was a framework that came out like 2019, I think it would be a completely different story. But because like regulation is isn't clear, well, there is no securities law equivalent for AI. Like, there's no like yeah. baggage with yes. AI. Like AI is like no complete, There's no complete gray area, complete like open field. But it's an, it's a gray area. But like, there's no you know like laws you know restricting what you can or can't do
2: yet. And I think one similarity which I've noticed like people hate against NFTs like the the po- tokenized pointers tokenized jpegs and artists love to hate on that i've noticed that like ai art gets the same level of hate from artists as well and so like, yes like an anti-tech anti-disruption type thing Blood like ice. yeah like a lot of other things are different about ai and crypto but like the the negative narratives connotations and like kind of the degeneracy so a lot of those kind of carry over so I, there's like co between these two uh, concepts for sure yeah there's definitely i think for, for ai
1: problem, yeah. to 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 finally get some baggage, Dave, is if mm-hmm. like somebody creates the UST equivalent or some kind of like financial product where like the AI actually rugged everybody, and then now like, the oh, like a regulator, <laughs> like like yeah. so some, some it has to touch finance, right? I think the the issue with with crypto is like if if we never touch finance and we only did say gaming, for example, and like you know instead of DeFi summer, it was like gaming summer, and then. Mm-hmm. I don't think regulators would rain down so hard on, on it, uh, mm-hmm. just because it was it's not finance, right? It, it doesn't really touch things like that. But it may not have been as exciting either. the The, the thing about AI is like the the demonstrably uh, clear showcase that it did was just Chat GPT. Just talk to it, and everybody's so impressed yeah. by the output. But it's so easy to comprehend. Versus in crypto, it's like, hey, you could LP here and take that receipt token, and then farm here. You can also take it with you <laughs> to leverage it. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's we're talking about linguistics. Stuff. We're you talking about exactly ling- like, full circle. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. And like, like with AI, yeah. it's like it's something you can just kind of have fun with, and like eventually, it's going to come disrupt you or augment your job, and that that's clear. With crypto, it's like if you don't care about speculation or you know, most people don't care about finance in general yes and so it's like mm-hmm. trying to get that then you combine it with the esoteric terms and all the complicated things that you don't understand and it's kind of like why versus ai it's like oh i put in a prompt to like explain what medicine is in the voice of like a pirate and it's like oh that's awesome like it's it's yeah it's way more graspable for most yeah. people
0: it's way more graspable and it, and you can see the tangible impact like if you're like if you like have a paper and you want to improve it <laughs> like or if you want to just like write a paper and jump boom like it's like, the, it's, it's, it's really, like something, honestly, and it's like, it changes like the role of people and creators, they, they go from creators to curators and they have to change, like, instead yeah. of making the art, they have to like, okay, like the best prompters are the ones that are going to be successful in the AI world and how we're talking about AI now. We're like deep by practice podcast.
1: Yeah. Jeez. See, it's so good. It's yeah. so good. It just
0: permeates the, like it gets yeah. into our, our brain, just like a meme. Yeah. Yeah, speaking of which I guess we've gone full circle around. Um, should we uh, wrap up here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah.
1: Well, uh, last thing, part. let's let's ask uh, a COG about like what's what he's excited about. You know. Oh chain- yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Let's let's get into Chainlink a bit. Like, what are you excited about with, with Chainlink? Anything new on the horizon? I know there's CCIP coming out. Like, what really like gets you going?
2: Yeah, I think the, ba- the next major thing is that you know there's a lot of derivative protocols now. There's synthetics, there's GMX, and their, their requirements on oracles are more unique. They need really low latency, very high frequency data because there's so much leverage involved. Mm-hmm. And traditional price feeds that just continuously push data on-chain uh, don't work as well because it's kind of expensive to operate that. It can only operate so fast. So Chainlink's working on low latency off-chain oracles mm-hmm. that produce data, uh, an oracle report every single time a block's created. Then users can fetch that data off-chain, put it in their transaction, submit it to the DAP, and then it immediately consumes that data. So, like the data your transaction uses is way more fresh. It's basically the same time you make the transaction, which means you can have way more leverage. You can have lower trading fees. Front-running basically is mostly uh, eliminated as a concern since the data is private before it's collected. It's not just sitting on-chain. So that's going to enable way more applications. Oh, that's huge. Yeah, GMX, synthetics, but I could see this going for every DeFi application, you know, lending markets, anything. Fraxland. Yeah, I I could see it. And like that's going to enable way more fresh data. And instead of like one of the uh, large costs of price fees is like you have to pump data on chain continuously, (laughs) make transactions, push it on chain. But when you have a poll based off chain oracle, you're offloading all the gas costs onto the users. And so when the user makes the transaction, they're the one paying for putting the data on chain. So the operating costs of the oracles, which have been uh you know for networks like ethereum very expensive to operate have been just completely eliminated so it's way more economically viable which means the revenue that's generated reaches a point of sustainability way faster so like it's good for the chain network and the token it's good for all the users in DeFi. and you know one of the pain points for chainlink has been like wow. expanding new chains every chain needs a direct integration you need to test it make sure it works every chain works slightly differently it just takes time but when you have these off-chain oracles you're offloading the data delivery to users, so the integration is way quicker. Which means I anticipate Chainlink launching on way more chains in like the next the next year, the next two years. So like in my mind, this yeah. is like this is going to be the future of how data feeds and price feeds work. I'm, I'm very excited about. Um, and of course, I'm always excited about cross-chain and cross-chain interoperability protocol and how you know uh, anyone from like synthetics all the way to like Swift is going to be using CCIP to bridge assets, bridge commands. Create truly cross-chain applications that aren't just copy-paste applications, but like, you know, abstracting away all the complicated nuance into just like one bridge. You give the bridge your tokens. You say, "Hey, go farm for me," and it farms the different, uh, you know, different apps on different chains for the best yield. Returns it back to you. Like, there's a whole there's a whole world of opportunities. I feel so like the combination of better data plus cross-chain interoperability is like that's the type of infrastructure. Like, once developers have that they can build better applications and better applications mean more users, more revenue. And then hopefully with real world assets, of course, then it becomes a lot more relevant, uh, towards society. So I'm, I'm excited for the new year. I think there's going to be a lot of good things coming up for developers to build with. Yeah. We build in a bear. The builders keep building. Exactly. And all the moon boys and the hype, hopefully yeah. mostly flushes away. <laughs>
0: the moon boys crash down to the earth and now they're at the bottom of the ocean.
2: So, Oh, Oh, well, <laughs> They'll come oh. rise again next cycle. They'll come rise no, no. again. They'll, they'll have oh, their they time always again. Come, the moon always <laughs> <Yeah>. rises, bro. <laughs> yeah. It's a,
0: there's always a cycle. It's called a cycle for a reason.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and c o g, you said like cross-chain, and are, are you referring to like other L1s or like other roll-ups and L2s? Or
2: just everything. It could be a mixture of everything. I think there's some wow. sectors, you know, Cosmos has IBC. That's kind of like the standard, like sure. cross-chain is way more yeah. competitive in general but like you have the Cosmos cluster, you can consider it. You have Ethereum and it's L2 cluster. You have like the Solana clusters. Like there's different clusters that need to be bridged with each other and even like bridging different L2s with each other. Like you can bridge through Ethereum itself, you know, that's secure, but it's really slow uh, even with Mm -hmm. like ZK rollups. But if you're able to bridge directly with CCIP, like there's a lot of different combinations that could be made. I still think things are going to consolidate, but you know, app chains aren't going to go away. I feel like not everything needs composability Apps want more control over the economics and you know how they how they interact with users. So yes. in my mind, whether it's an app chain L2 or just a app chain Cosmos SDK or app chain, you know Polkadot parachain or whatever's going to be like it, it's going to want to communicate somehow with other chains. So I don't know how fully the multi-chain cross-chain ecosystem will play out, but I think bridges, you know, there's just going to be user demand. Somebody's going to build it, and if you know Chainlink's not building it, somebody else will build it, and it'll be more insecure, mm. <laughs> and then we'll lead to another wormhole type situation. Right, uh, and and last question on, on my end. Um, just
1: for the listeners who's been with us all the way to the end here, uh, CLG, can you give us some alpha? Where are you currently farming? The listeners need some yield to survive through this bear market. Please give, sir, me familia, <laughs>
0: me <Mi> familia. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's probably going to be a letdown, but I pretty much completely scaled out of everything at the beginning of the year. <laughs> the only thing I'm in at this point is link staking. It's effectively risk-free, but the pool's closed. Sorry, guys. But at this point, my <laughs> sense, like, CeFi, I try not to touch that much. That stuff never... I mean, I get why people use it. There's a use for it, but, like, the risk never made sense. DeFi, ever since, like, UST, I'm like, okay, doesn't make sense. I'm, it's just not worth it. Like, I'm sure there's yield out there, but at this point, I'm not the degenerate that I once was. He's a reformed so we all, god. We all,
0: all grow <laughs> up a little bit, kid. What are you farming now? Um, currently,
1: right now, I am on RB uh, in the ETH and uh, USDC
0: UNI V3. Um, that's just chilling. Yeah, See, I'm in the uh, Frax ETH ETH Curve pool. That's always there. a solid place. That's always yeah. a solid place. And then I'm in like a few other things, just mainly Frax stuff. Honestly, I don't really. I don't like to venture out of FRAX just because, like, I I know what I'm getting, and I can. I, that's kind of like my like risk stuff I do Is like I know what I'm getting, and like I trust it, and so you know the yields are always been reliable. So, FRAX everyone. Got your choice. FRAX <laughs> All right, we're gonna wrap this one up. Chainlink God, thank you so much. At the end of every show, we do a lightning round, and we're gonna do that now. Uh, Kit, let's go with the first question. So,
1: CLG. Uh, What was your first virgin crypto experience? When did you first actually touch the blockchain? And
2: sexes don't count. (laughs) That was probably Ethereum itself. I think the only thing that existed on chain was Uniswap. So I think I swapped some ETH for BAT tokens. On Uniswap V1, that was wow, that was a long time wow. ago. bad token. Ooh, yeah, throwback. I, <laughs> I held it for too long, I think. But yeah, that was that was my first experience. <laughs> like, oh shit, I, I learned more about Uniswap than I did, you know, any other token yeah. I swapped with.
1: Solid, solid virgin experience. um Second question: What is your favorite off-chain touch grass activity?
2: Hmm. I would say I, you know, sometimes you got to disconnect. So I'm a man of like hiking, also go off-roading sometimes up in the mountains nice. a little bit. So just got to be like, you know, got to disconnect from the, the angry crypto Twitter noise, yeah. Shazam, and then All just kind of right. go out in nature and literally touch grass.
1: Like mountain biking, ATV
2: stuff, or just like, I just nice serene hikes. Mixture of hikes. And then also I have a truck. So taking some off-road dirt and mud trails. Oh, okay.
0: So what would be some advice you'd give to your, let's say, like younger self, like 18 year old self, 20 year old self, or whatever your age is, like five years younger than whatever you are now?
2: I would probably say don't take things at school so seriously. It realistically does not matter that much in the long run. Experiences matter far more, Mm -hmm. as well as be prepared for the extreme degeneracy of financial speculation. Otherwise, it will consume your life. So be careful. Wow, good advice.
1: Um, And the the last question here is, if you weren't in crypto professionally, what career path would you be on right now?
2: So I was going to school for computer science and and I dropped out. But if I didn't drop out, then realistically, I'd be working at some medium or, you know, top uh, tech Mm -hmm. shop uh, you know probably probably in like Silicon Valley or in, in San Francisco working you know hunched over a computer coding something up, trying to make advertisements slightly more efficient, getting more eyeballs <laughs> attention economy that's realistically what I'd probably that was, that was the path I was going down you know who knows I think it's would have shaped up but yeah I would have been would have been in tech but wouldn't have been in the financial speculation economy okay what would the career path be if you can't choose tech? If you can't choose computer science Yes tech or computer science? Probably like videography, like being on a a video set, like working the camera. Like I've I've always, I've always, you know, I used to film videos. I used to take like videography in high school. So like that would probably be the path that I'd be going down. I don't know if I'd be like independent filmmaker maybe, or like working on a film set. I think that's realistically like that's, it still intrigues me, but I'm a little distracted now, but that'd be the path I'd be down. CLG productions soon, TM. (laughs) Maybe one day if the bear market continues. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or when we all
0: make it, we're gonna see CLG Productions. Absolutely. Yeah. Chainlink God, this has been a refreshing episode. Thank you so much for coming on.
2: Absolutely, Thank dude. I uh, appreciate you guys having me on. Always, always happy to chat.
0: Thank you, everyone, for watching this episode of Flywheel Pod with the Chainlink God. And honestly, like he lived up to the name. My favorite. One of my other favorite parts was how. Like he was like, yeah, I just saw the name in five minutes. Like, oh, this like wizard Pepe looks five seconds. All of it was five (laughs) seconds. All perfect. And like the fact that it came after we talked about like what's wrong with linguistics in crypto. And then he's like the perfect like case of like when you do linguistics right and like you present yourself in the right manner, you can just take off. And it was just like, you know, and he also just happens to be like such a wealth of knowledge of like really solid, substantive (laughs) information. And, like, just having the right brand as shaman God, like, you know, probably, like, catapulted him to, like, where he is yeah. in ways we probably don't understand.
1: It's because he did the work, right? Like, he, he read the, the white papers. Like, he did the research. And not only that, he consolidated it and gave it out in a very easily
0: comprehensible way for the people, you know? Exactly. He, he was an alchemical transmutation specialist. He was truly the wizard that he is in his profile picture and also you got to give him credit for keeping his pulse on the culture like he was like you know there are a bunch of frogs on twitter i want to be a frog and he's going to be a frog you know you know going back to his 4chan roots and now it's like funny seeing like pepe's 4chan and now they're just like common in all crypto culture and all the derivatives of that like honestly i love this culture so much it's so much fun (laughs)
1: And also speak about, like, staying in your lane, right? Obviously, Chamberlain God, you know, being who he is and as influential as he is and so many friends into space, he was probably offered, like, a ton of, you know, access to early deals or early farms or everything. But, no, he stayed his lane and, like, you know, he only kind of participated in what
0: he knew. He's a principled God. Definitely. Very princely. (laughs) Very princely. (laughs) Princely, principled, you know, You know, really, like, I think a role model for a lot of us in the space. And, like, I hope when, like, newcomers come, like, Shane Lang God is someone that they listen to. Yeah. Great, great success story. Yeah. And if you want to keep listening to us, hit that bell button. Subscribe. You know, we'll be here. We're here every week. We're here for you. Don't forget to hit that like button. Leave leave us some comments below. We want to hear you. Honestly. Let us know. Yeah, just let us know. Keep up with us on Twitter. Follow us at FlywheelPod. Join our Telegram group. We got lots of great discussion going on in there at FlywheelPod. You can follow me on Twitter at DeFiDave22. You can follow me at 0 X capital underscore K. And we'll see you next week. Peace. Peace. <laughs> oh, yeah. Ah, oh, damn it. My chair doesn't slide. <laughs> <laughs>